How are you? Good. Last week we started a series called Margin. If you weren't here last week, I'm going to just catch you up real quick, just so we're all kind of on, all on the same page. Uh, we talked last week about how life is better with some margin. And we can define kind of this margin as the kind of the space between uh, the, the kind of the current pace that we're on, how fast we're going, how fast we're spending, how complex our relationships have gotten, that kind of the space between our current pace and our limits. Because relationally, financially, in terms of time, you have limits. And, and when there's no space between kind of your, your pace and your limits, then you have no margin. And when there's no margin, there's more stress. When there's no margin, relationships suffer. So, Mom, you're always on the phone. Dad, you're always on the computer. You're always arguing about money. I feel like your body isn't he- is, is here, but your brain isn't here. I don't think you're listening, that sort of thing. Because when there's no breathing room in our schedule, no breathing room financially, no margin in our relationships, relationships are the first things to suffer. Now, here's the cool thing about this. When God had an opportunity to create his first society, the nation of Israel, when God established the nation of Israel, they had excuse me, no rules, no society, no laws, really because they were a slave state. They had been a slave state. So he gave them the commandments. He gave them like 613 commandments. And then, the, then he gave them the top 10, or the famous ones, the 10 commandments. In the, in the top 10 rules, he commanded them to take a day off. And you have to kind of, you just have to love a God who commands you to take a day off. In the very beginning, God said, I have designed you to function best when there's margin in your life, when there's space to breathe. So when the sun goes down, you stop working for 24 hours. You Sabbath. When the sun goes down, you rest and you go home. It's my law because that's how I designed you to work. And I'm, I'm excited about today's message because we're going to talk about something in this message that, that literally, like I know this kind of sounds like preacher talk, could change your life. And the reason it could change your life is because it will change your time. I don't know if you know this, but your time is your life. And as, as your time goes, so goes your life. As your schedule goes, so goes your life. So we're going to get this wisdom from none other than Moses. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 90. Right? If not, no worries. We'll have the scriptures up there on the big screen there. When you think of Psalms, you kind of think of David, but, but this is actually a psalm written by Moses. Moses lived to be 120 years old, and the Bible gives us this very interesting little tidbit about Moses. The Bible says that when Moses was 120 years old, that he could still see well. So they just kind of threw that in. So, so most of us at 40 have to squint at stuff. But he's at 120, and the Bible says, oh, by the way, he had still, still had very good eyesight. I mean, it's pretty good to see at 120. So let me tell you why we should pay attention to what Moses says about time. Because Moses really had four lives. Moses was adopted and raised in Pharaoh's household. He was, he was Hebrew. He was a Hebrew, but he was raised as an Egyptian. So he had, kind of, for the first part of his life, everything going for him. You know, 60-inch flat-screen scrolls everywhere, the, the shiniest camels. It was, it was awesome because he lived with the Pharaoh, and he had it made. Then he kind of fell out with Pharaoh's family because he murdered a guy, and he, he had to get out of town. So he kind of became kind of a bit of a rambling man. As the Allman Brothers would say, trying to make a living, doing the best he can. 
then, then for the next part of his life, he's a shepherd. So you're, you're talking some slow days. You know, today you're going to take the sheep out. You're going to sit and you just watch the sun go across the sky. Then you're going to round them up, take them back in, put them in the pen. Next morning you get to do the same thing. Forty years as a shepherd. So, and understand, Moses didn't know the end of his story, right? Moses, 40 years as a shepherd, and he's thinking, this is it. This is, I get to watch the sheep die, eventually I die. He didn't know he would be, that we'd be talking about. That's the second part of his life, watching sheep. The third part of his life, he ends up back in Egypt, uh, you know, let my people go. The river of blood, all the signs and wonders, and all the, you know, pestilence and plagues, and now he's God's mouthpiece. And he's in all this controversy in the middle of one of the biggest events in world history where he faces down Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And then the fourth part of his life, the next thing he knows, he's the leader of a nation. They're marching out of Egypt and they're in, into the land of Canaan, the promised land. And now he's a leader and all these people are murmuring and complaining. And God says, sick of them, I'm not going to let them go into the promised land. So Moses, for the rest of your life, you're going to lead these people around in a circle until they die. So that's awesome. Then at the end of his life, if you read the Bible, he gets to the edge of the promised land. He's got all these people with him, the whole nation. And God says, oh, you can't go in. It's like, what? I'm Moses. What do you mean I can't go in? God says, you can't go in. I'm going to let you go up on the mountain and look at it because you can still see well. But you're going you're gonna to go up on the mountain and look at the promised land, but you can't go in. Now this guy has some perspective on time. In the 90th Psalm, he gives it to us. This is kind of a little snippet of Old Testament stuff. There's, a, there's an insight about time. This is, that is, it's just amazing. So let me read these verses to you. They're a little tricky. It's an ancient text. It's Hebrew back to English, so it's a little tricky. But I'm going to read. You can follow along. Psalm 90, verse 1. Here's how it goes. Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. So he's talking about the nation of Israel. Throughout all generations, you've kind of, we've kind of lived within the context of who you are. He continues, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So he goes, God, you know the arrows go in both directions. You are everlasting to everlasting. And somewhere in the middle of everlasting to everlasting, there's me, Moses, and there's us, the nation of Israel. And he makes this statement. I love this. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. It's like the greatest Gandalf statement in the whole Old Testament, isn't it? Return to dust. You, know, you shall not pass. Return to dust, you mortals. So this is a little, maybe a little offensive to us in our kind of modern way of thinking. But it wasn't to Moses. This is his way of saying that God controls the beginning and the end. That God controls the days of our lives. He continues, he says, A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. So a watch in the night is like three hours. In other words, this is way of Moses, Moses' way of saying, As I get older, the years just go by quick. You know, Wow, you're God. You're like everlasting to everlasting. How, imagine how time flies for God. Everlasting to everlasting. He says, for me, it's like, you know, here comes a year, here comes another year, and you look around and you go, where did where'd the last ten years go? But God, for you, a thousand years is like three hours. Which means, God, from everlasting to everlasting, how must my life look 
within the context of a thousand years being like three hours to you. Psalm 90, verse 5. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. He says, God, I guess from your perspective, our entire lives that we get so messed up about, I guess from your perspective, it's kind of like grass that pops up in the morning and is dead by late afternoon. Isn't this motivating? Aren't you glad you came to church today? He goes on. It doesn't get much better. Let's skip to verse 10. Psalm 90, verse 10. Our days may come to 70 years or 80, for our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. So how many of you at some point growing up at camp, you sang the song, I'll fly away? Yeah, that's where it came from, right here. His point is that time and life pass quickly. He continues. Now this is a, kind of a confusing verse. I'm going to read it and then explain it. Psalm 90, verse 11. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. That kind of seems like a very poorly constructed sentence, doesn't it? Kind of with three different ideas and some words kind of dropped in the middle there. But this is kind of a diff- difficult Hebrew verse to translate to English. This is probably as good as it gets. But So let me tell you kind of what it means. Here's the idea. He's, here's what Moses is saying. You're, you're everlasting to everlasting. I'm like a piece of grass. We're here, here today, gone tomorrow. So, so Moses kind of pauses in this grand explanation and says, wow, if we could see God as he is, if we, we would be more careful with the time we have allotted. If we could see God as who God is and realize he, he gave us life and gave us time, he is everlasting to everlasting. And he is glorious and all-powerful. And we're here today and gone tomorrow like grass then we would probably rethink what we do with this gift of limited time that we have been given, wouldn't we? Moses is kind of pushing us back to look at the context of our life. Because it's good to pause every once in a while and think about how short our lives really are. Because in contemplating the fact that your time is limited, it will directly impact what you decide to do with your time. So Moses now comes to the application. So look at what he says. Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us. So teach us because we don't do this naturally. Teach us to number our days. Or another way of saying this is, teach us to live as if our days are numbered. You know what? We live as if we're going to live forever. We spend our time as if we're always going to have our kids. We spend our time as if we're always going to have our spouse. We spend our time as if we're always going to have our parents. We spend our time as if our time is unlimited. We know it's not, but in how we schedule and how we cram in and what we prioritize, we live as if our days are not numbered. Moses says it's a huge mistake. You need to learn to number your days, which means learn to live as if your days are numbered. Maybe I'm totally bumming you out right now, but I don't see a lot of smiling, nodding faces, but this is reality. This will actually help us live a better life because here's the promise. Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to live as if our days are numbered, because in living as our days are numbered, we will gain wisdom as to what we should put in, what we should leave out, what should be the priority. If you live as if your days are not numbered, you will continue to fill the days with things that later on you wish you had not filled your days with. 
But when you begin to number your days, you gain wisdom. You immediately gain a perspective. It prioritizes your life. Wait a minute, I can't spend my time doing that. I need to spend more time doing this. I need to spend no time doing that. I need to begin spending time doing that. That's why when Dairy Queen or some of those places have the free cone days, and you drive up there, it's always incredible to me that there's, there's always a line out the door. People stand in line for a half hour, 45 minutes to get a cone. A cone is what, like two bucks? I want to yell, come back tomorrow and buy one, you know? If that's your thing, you love standing in lines, that's fulfilling to you, then I apologize. You know, you do you. But it makes me wonder if those people realize how short a time that we have. Money comes and goes. You can always make more. But you can't get back your time. You can't make more. So Moses says, remember that your time is limited because it gives us the wisdom we need to know how to spend our, our limited time. So the question here is, I hear what you're saying, Chris, but, but if our time is limited, like you say, then why shouldn't we cram as much in as we can? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. That fits right into what I have next in my notes, so thanks. So, you and I were created by God to display the glory of God and our enjoyment of Him. You were created to give God glory by enjoying Him, loving Him, worshiping Him, so that, so that when you're not doing that, you feel out of whack because you're not living under the purpose for which you were created. So in the beginning, God begins to create. He speaks stuff into being. He speaks the universe into the being, the stars into being, the planets, the mountains, the oceans, the camels, the ducks, you know, the weird stuff at the bottom of the ocean. You get the picture. He speaks it into being. Um, then God scoops up dirt, breathes on it, man is born, knocks him out, breaks his rib, creates the woman. He creates it all, and every day he, stay, he steps back and says, it's good, it's good, it's good. And on day seven, he creates what for me? Rest, Sabbath. He creates man to enjoy him, and he creates the Sabbath as a tool for man to accomplish that purpose. Your enjoyment of God is inseparably woven into the idea of having some breathing room in your schedule, or what the Bible calls Sabbath, which is why God is so serious about it throughout Scripture. Leviticus 23.30 says, I will destroy from among their people anyone who does any work on that day. I mean, he's serious enough about the Sabbath to say, take it or I will kill you. He's that serious about, about Sabbath. Now, why? We have some younger folks in here, and I will just say that some of, some of you younger guys and girls aren't going to follow some of the things that I'm going to say now because life hasn't beat, you, beat the trash out of you yet. So you'll kind of want to just file some of this book because life will eventually stomp you into a pile of goo, but... Here's the deal. Life has a way of endlessly piling up upon itself until the whole act of living is replaced by a weighty sense of obligation. Am I lying? Life has a way of endlessly piling up on itself until you're no longer living but just fighting through a thousand different obligations. And this is not the way of Jesus. And this is not the life he came to bring. One of the most convicting things I have recently 
come to realize about Jesus that he was never, not once in a hurry. He has three years to change the world and he was never rushed. He's a Messiah without a Messiah complex. Go to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, 1. <clears throat> a lot of you will probably have this memorized. It says, <clears throat> The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. So the way of Jesus is that we would, he would lies down in green pastures next to quiet waters. And in that pasture, in that stillness, in that silence, in that solitude, in that place, he restores. In that place, he heals. In that place, he brings healing and restoration and enjoyment for his namesake so that we might enjoy him. Later on in Psalms, in fact, Psalms, Psalm 118, it will, be, it will be hard if you grew up in church to hear the psalm without clapping. So let's just do it. Let's clap. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord sing, made, that the Lord has made. We will rejoice, we will rejoice and be glad in it. All right, calm down. Thank you. The thing about margin... The thing about the Sabbath is it tunes us back into the greatness and the goodness of God. Now this is the day. Today is the day that God has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. No matter how dark in your world it is right now, no matter how it, it's unraveling in your world right now, the Sabbath, it opens our eyes to stand in awe of the goodness and the beauty of God despite the brutality of a sinful world. I'm wondering how many of us can't even see anymore, that we've lost our natural awe because of the maddening pace of life. Sabbath and margin give us time to practice the presence of God. We live in a culture that says that rest and stillness is lazy. But without rest and without stillness, how will we ever, as Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God? Some knowing isn't pursued. It can only be received. There are parts of God's nature and presence we miss in our busyness. And the other other thing about margin is it slows you down enough to see people again. Now, if if you've got kids, you know this. They're growing up fast, and I don't want to miss a moment of it. I don't want to miss a second of it. And if I'm not careful... And speed and accomplishment and pace will rob me of the simple beauties of my daughters. And there's this, there's this woman in my house that enjoys me and for some reason likes to be around me. And I want to see her and not be distracted when I'm with her. And, I'm, and I have friends and family in my life and I, that I love and I enjoy and I really want to do life with. If, and, I'm, and if I'm not careful, then they become another obligation to put on the pile. So here's the the big question. Okay, but what does that look like in 2016? Here's what I want to do. I want to give you just some ancient things that the Hebrews did. Here's how some of them did it hundreds of years ago. The ancient Hebrew people had a Sabbath box, and the Sabbath began at dinner one night and would run through dinner the next night. And, And what would happen is, as the family got home, 
they would walk in and the Sabbath box would be placed out by the door. And you would open the Sabbath box and you would put into the box anything that connected you to the outside world or had something to do with the chains of work or tasks. So if, if we had a Sabbath box in 2016, we'd come home and we'd put the cell phone in there. And we'd put the laptop in there. And we'd, we'd put the second cell phone in there in case the first one goes out. And we'd put the tablet and the smartwatch and your Google Glasses and your Fitbit and all the stuff in there. Then they would grab a piece of paper and they would write down on the piece of paper the things that worried them and they were anxious about and major projects that had to be done. They'd write them down and they would fold them up and they would put them in a box and pray. Okay, that's yours. That's not mine. Then when everything was in, they would lock the box and they would head into the house, light candles and pray a prayer. Let me read some other things. They would light candles Sing songs, pray, tell stories, worship, eat, nap. There was even, and I debated whether or not to tell this one, but I'll go ahead. Earmuff the little kids. There was even some groups that believe that portions of the Sabbath should be set aside if you're married for sex. Some of you hadn't listened to me all morning. (laughs) Now you're finally tuned in. You're like, baby, give me a pen. Give me a pen. I heard, I heard nap and sex were joining this church. <laughs> now you're tuned in. It seems that God created the Sabbath to be a day of rest and delight where we stopped long enough to be grateful for all that God did. A guy by the name of Mark Buchanan wrote a book called The Rest of God. He has a quote in that book that I love. He says, The Sabbath is the rest God gladly gives us so that we might discover that part of God we're missing. It is not a reward for finishing. It's not a bonus for work well done. It is a sheer gift. It is a stop work order in the midst of work that's never complete. Sabbath is not the break we're allotted at the tail end of completing all the tasks and chores, the fulfillment of all our obligations. It's the rest that we take smack dab in the middle of them. Without apology, without guilt, and for no better reason than that God told us we could. So here's your homework assignment this week. Sometime this week, I'd like you to get out a piece of paper. If, if you're married or you have a close friend, talk about this together. Parents talk to your kids, kids talk to your parents. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think through... What do I need to add to my schedule that's not there? What do I need to subtract? What do I need to do more of? And what do I need to remove completely? What, what can I get rid of altogether? You know, what, what am I spending too much time on? We as a, you know, a couple or family, we're spending too much time on that. We don't need to throw it away, all, you know, all the televisions, but we, we need to spend a little less time as a, TV in front of the tele, as a family in front of the television. You know, I don't need to quit playing golf altogether, but maybe I need to turn it down a bit. I love to pick on golf because I don't play golf, so it's easy for me. The point is this. For some of you, this could be a life changer because it's a time changer. And your time is your life. For those of you who are in small group, fellowship group, I want you to talk about it. In your small group, you say, okay, a little accountability time. There's something I need to turn up a little bit, and there's something I need to turn down a bit. I think if we allow God's perspective of time and Sabbath 
to make its way into the details of your day and the details of your life, it will change your life. Because when you begin to live as if your days are numbered, you will gain a heart of wisdom. Would you just kind of get comfortable for a minute? Close your eyes. We're not going to do anything weird, but just take a deep breath. How long has it been since you've walked in peace? How long has it been since you felt near to God? How long has it been since the word was alive as you read it? Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yet so many of us are frazzled and exhausted, trying to do more and more and more. And I pray that we would find the time to be still. And that in that quiet place, we might learn again to meditate on the beauties of Jesus. In praying and talking with the leaders here, there is such a desire in our hearts this year to encounter God in a deeper way. We want to go deeper walking with Him, and I think this is going to be one of the, one of the places to start. Because in order to follow Jesus, you have to hear Him. And in order to hear Him, you have to slow down. So as the ministry team comes up, just let me, let me pray for you, all right? God, I ask you to stir our hearts towards you. I pray, Father, that this won't be one of those things that we just read and see and hear in your word but do nothing with. Teach us to number our days so that we might gain what most people never get, that we might gain a heart of wisdom because our time is limited. You said that you came to give us life, life to be lived. So slow us down, Father. Help us to slow down. Help us to see again. Help us to see our children and our spouses and our parents and our friends. Let us see again who we are. Let us see people again and not just a mass of humanity. Let us see beauty again. Restore our natural awe. Fill our hearts with gratitude in your grace, Lord. Help us to slow down and rest and find our restoration in you. It's for your beautiful name that we pray. Everybody said, Amen.